Good morning everyone. Ever hear of Hanlon's razor? It's uh, maybe a cousin to Occam's razor, an extension of it. Basically it says, don't ascribe to malice what is better ascribed to stupidity. And I would add ignorance. Uh, stupidity and ignorance being two different things. But welcome to this CSJ podcast, Musings of an IFJ. I'm your host, Jay. And uh, I'm going to be talking a little bit about that. Uh, I'm a uh, bit of a child of the 80s, I'll admit. Um, I grew up in the 80s. I love music, uh, 80s music to this day. Um, and uh, one particular tune I think is appropriate for our discussion today. Uh, Mike and the Mechanics. Uh, 1988 I think was the year uh, and the title of the song The Living Years and uh, you know, a very thoughtful song and it applies I think as much to us today as it did then. Um, the first line, every generation blames the one before and it's true isn't it? Uh, both at a micro level and a macro level. Micro meaning children and their parents, children blaming their parents for their own situation, but also at a macro level, a society. Um, if you think of uh, <clears throat> relationships between, say, baby boomers and uh, millennials and generations in between. <clears throat> Uh, yeah, we do blame the generations before. I blame the generation before me. We're going to talk a little bit about that. Um, the thing is, blaming those who came before you is, uh, is really a bit irresponsible. It assumes that, uh, well, you're not taking responsibility for your own position in life. You want to blame it on others. You assume that they had all knowledge, they knew everything, and uh, and maybe should have uh, done better with you, left you something uh, more than what you have, taught you more than what you know. That's a bit of entitlement if you think about it. Uh, but uh, the assumption's wrong. You know, everyone, everyone. Uh, lives quiet lives of desperation, in my opinion. Uh, everyone's searching, everyone's seeking in their own way. Nobody has all the answers. And uh, people do the best they can. Your parents do the best they can. Now, I'm talking generally. Uh, generally, parents love their children. Uh, and want to do everything they can for them, want them to have better lives than they did themselves, but they're limited in their capacity to give that, either uh, in terms of physical possessions, um, you know, just general capabilities and whatnot. Um, you understand. Uh, I think it's I think it's a bit of a excuse. Um, to blame so much on your parents and I mean so okay so we go to your parents 
who do they have to blame for their condition? Well, their parents. And then their parents. And how far back does it have to go until we find the, two, the true culprit for our situation that we are so unhappy with? I don't know, maybe I'm belaboring the point, but um, but it is uh, the way so many people um, behave or react. You know, I'm thinking of uh, Prince Harry and uh, and uh, the Oprah interview, for example. Um, the man is obviously in a lot of pain, continues to grieve uh, for his mother, and uh, he's struggling through that grieving process. You know, and who am I to, to, to judge him on where he is in that process or what he should do to overcome his grief? Um, you know, there's grieving is, is very personal, it's emotional. Obviously, there's no, uh, you know, kind of affiliative, let's call it, solution. You know, what what should Harry do to overcome his grief? Well, maybe there's some things, but in the end, it's all within, right? It is disturbing, though, I must admit, that um, the... Um, the attacks on his uh, on his father, his his grandparents, um, and others in the royal family uh, for his he obviously holds them to blame. But what should they have done differently? I mean, uh, they're bound themselves. I mean, how far back do we go? Do we go back to Henry the Eighth? And him, you know, uh, uh, beheading Anne Boleyn, for example, and and uh, the atro- other atrocities. I mean, where does it where does it start, and where does it end? And hopefully, for all Harry and Meghan's wokeness, uh, and believing they. They uh, know uh, the superior way. Hopefully Archie, their newborn daughter as well, will not come to resent them for what they have done, for what they are trying to manipulate within, within them. Maybe Archie will resent the fact that he was not able to grow up as part of the royal family and share in that legacy directly. Uh, you know, who knows? But that's the point, is that uh, that's family. That's our interaction. It's not always happiness. There's a lot of pain. Pain is part of life. So um, I want to shift gears a little bit kind of shifting all around here a little but again trying to make a point trying to illustrate some thoughts ideas (laughs) Uh, so thinking back thinking now to Star Trek Star Trek 5 
The Final Frontier. Also a movie in the late 80s, if I remember right. Uh, not one of the best Star Trek movies, like uh, a lot of people would say, and quite true. It was it was directed by William Shatner. Was you know his, his effort at directing. Um, but there's a message there that has always stuck with me, and uh, just and I think it's appropriate here. And so if you uh, if you remember or ever saw Star Trek V, you remember that it is uh, Spock's cousin Cybok who uh, is on a quest to find God, to find heaven, uh, find Eden. And uh, in the course of that, uh, he uh, foregoes all um, uh, control of his personal emotions very much unlike Spock and very much unlike Vulcan culture where emotions are be controlled minimized eliminated even if possible and Cybot goes the, the other direction he embraces emotion and, uh, and one of the things he does is to gain followers and to, to join him on this quest and he uses a Vulcan mind meld, essentially, to uh, remove the pain uh, from, from people around him. And in removing this pain, they find joy. And in that joy, they turn to him. They see him, essentially, as a prophet, maybe even God to some degree, but certainly as a prophet. And... Uh, and join him in his quest, so much so that they take over the Enterprise. Dr. McCoy finds himself in the same position. Cybok relieves him of a particular pain, and that pain was uh, that Dr. McCoy essentially um, caused his father's death. He removed life support from his father, and he's carried that pain with him his entire life and uh, we never knew that before and so then Dr. McCoy proceeds to uh, try to talk to Captain Kirk and tell him the joy that he's found and Captain Kirk responds and says uh, I need my pain I don't want it taken away Because that pain makes me who I am. So behind me is uh, is uh, what used to be anyway a uh, steel fabrication plant, a small one. Um, but I. Uh, but I show it here because it, it's in symbolic in a lot of ways of my, of my dad. My dad was a uh, crane operator uh, at a steel mill. And he was one that drove the overhead crane and would, with the bucket below with the molten steel or whatever. I don't know the process, frankly. Uh, but I do know the image. And he was considered the best at the plant that he worked at. 
and uh, like uh, like a lot of parents, like most parents, I think, the majority, he wanted a better life for his children. But he and I didn't uh, start off uh, the best. Well, I guess we started off okay, but as I, you know, as I grew, it, you know, he and I were. Uh, often at odds. So, for example, one of the first things I remember was uh, being about six years old. Uh, my sister, who was five, very shy, and my mom and dad uh, thought that maybe if they engaged her in some, maybe some dance lessons, it would help bring her out of that shyness. And so, uh, uh, they took her, and she, and I went with my mom took her and I was with her and with them and um, they got my sister on the dance floor and she immediately ran to the corner and just wouldn't participate so then the dance instructor said why don't we get Jay out there with her maybe if he's with her standing next to her showing her what to do um, that will help so uh, that's what we did uh, I don't know how much it helped my sister, but I loved it. And uh, after that that lesson, the dance instructor came over to my mom and said, "You know what? We really need to get Jay into some dance lessons." And oh, by the way, I love dancing to this day. Um, but uh, went home. I was excited. I wanted to do it. Told Dad. And uh, Dad's reaction, no son of mine is going to dance. And, you know, it's pretty indicative of how our relationship went over the years. Um, of course, as I've said before, he was an ESFP. My mother, ISFJ, Golden Pair, they divorced when I was, well, right about this time. Or I was about five and a half, six years old when they divorced. You know, there was a little bit of favoritism played, frankly, um, with my mother tending to favor me and my dad tending to favor my brother and sister um, as an offset to her favoritism. He thought he was being fair to them and offsetting my mother's favoritism to me. Nobody told me that's what he was doing. And... Uh, I just thought he didn't like me. And, uh, but yet he, you know, but, and he wanted me as any, as most fathers do, wanted me to be in his image, what he imagined a son to be. And I was not, I was not the, uh, the outgoing, um, you know, uh, male that he wanted me to be, he, you know, um, but then I think back and he and I had some, uh, very good, had some very good, uh, experiences together. Uh, so for example, he used to take me with him to, uh, 
used to take me with him to uh, work on people's houses. So uh, I'd get up on a roof with him and, uh, you know, nine, ten years old, replacing shingles. My dad built three houses virtually uh, entirely by himself. And uh, he would have me help him, at least with the third house. I was too young for the first two. But with the third house, you know, uh, putting up drywall, uh, insulating, um, you know, again, putting on the roof, those kinds of things. And I've carried those skills with me to this day. And those were uh, very important bonding moments. And then there was also the time where he uh, uh, it was right at the end, you know, it was when we were coming to the end of a really a two year period in my teen years where we didn't even talk. And uh, <clears throat> I sat down in his old beat up van, used to drive Cadillacs. At this stage in his life, he drove around with an old beat-up van and a vice grip on the uh, transmission column. It's amazing his his journey downward. <clears throat> but we were sitting in his van, and uh, he asked me what I thought about universal health care, socialized medicine. And it really speaks to, you know, the depth of his thoughts. That T.E. child. And looking to me and T.I. child. And recognizing in me some, some value to him. I mean, that was a very special moment for me. <clears throat> Him asking my opinion on something and me just being a teenager like that. <clears throat> so, yeah, I say, oh, that's a lot. Maybe I'm uh, spending too much time on that. It doesn't matter. It's important to me. And I'm trying to make a point here that um, <clears throat> those kinds of things are probably no different than most. I mean, the specifics are, but the fact that we have these uh, these kind of dynamics in our relationships, you know, hurt, pain, as well as joy. But uh, um, my dad gave me a gift. He didn't even know it. But at the age of, uh, gosh, how old was I? <laughs> uh, 17. Uh, barely turned 17. Uh, <clears throat> my mom, brother, and sister, and I moved to Florida. And uh, I was there a week, didn't like it. And I moved back, uh, moved back to Ohio by myself. Uh, I'd just begun senior year in high school. I went and asked a friend uh, if I could, uh, in his family, if I could live with them. 
<clears throat> and they agreed, and I lived in his basement, in a little room in the basement, for <clears throat> probably about four months. Uh, but it, it was not sustainable. It wasn't, good. It wasn't working out. Um, I'd known uh, his family for years, but they were, uh, there were too many differences. Um, and I was just too independent. <clears throat> and uh, so uh, had a confrontation with his father one night late, who was drunk at the time. And uh, middle of the night, I got up, left. This was middle of winter, snowing outside. Uh, I got up, packed everything I had in my car, and left. And um, lived out of my car. Uh, that uh, first, that first day or two of living out of my car. <laughs> Yeah, not ideal. I went and asked my dad if I could come move in with him. And he told me no. Of course, uh, he was hurt, I think, that I didn't ask him first that I chose to live with my friend and his family before I wanted to live with my own dad. So yeah, what's that say about me? Or what's it say about our relationship? But when Dad told me no, he gave me a gift. I uh, continued to live in my car uh, for a short while. I already had a job. I was going to school, high school. I found an apartment, got my own apartment set up my own utilities, start taking care of myself. And uh, off to the races. Um, that was a gift, him telling me no. At the time, it was quite painful. Quite painful. And I held it against him. <clears throat> but over time, I, uh, I began thinking about him. His father died when he was eight years old, died in a coal mine cave-in. You know, we can blame the generations that come before us. But there's only so much that they can give us. And it's really not fair, in my opinion, to, to hold them to some standards that uh, are just unrealistic, make no sense, that are unfair to them and their experience. So, uh, in the spirit of Father's Day, in the spirit of turning the hearts of children to their fathers, 
think about forgiveness, forgiving your fathers, forgiving your parents, accepting the fact that pain makes you stronger, makes you a better person. It's the crucible, the heat, the pressure that's required to make steel, better yet, make diamonds. Don't try to avoid it. Sure, we got to come to terms with it. It takes time, like Prince Harry. But hopefully we don't do too much damage to ourselves and our relationships as we uh, come to those terms. So one last uh, reference, and then we'll close out. By the way, check us out on uh, csjoseph.life. A lot of good stuff on that website. And uh, some things to help you. But one last point I want to make. Mike and the Mechanics. Back to Mike and the Mechanics. The Living Years. Uh, Another line in that song. um, We open up a quarrel between the present and the past. And we only sacrifice the future in the bitterness that lasts. Don't sacrifice your future, especially with, uh, especially in your relationships. Thanks, everyone. Bye. What's up, Eagle Hackers? Thanks for watching this video, and if you enjoyed it, please hit the like button below. That would be the dopest. Also, if you want to see similar videos uh, to this video, just click on any of the videos that you see here, so you can go check those out as well. And if you have not taken our personality test to find out your type, please do so at csjoseph.life forward slash discover.